the wise and proper exercise of mercy in a government of moral beings is a complicated problem. And so we have been discussing the question, what do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible? Although the overflowing disposition of the great God is kindly disposed to forgive sinners upon their repentance, he cannot do so because of other considerations. What shall take the place of threatened punishment in upholding God's moral government and in preventing disobedience if the free pardon of some is exercised? Men will think they can sin and get away with it unless some great demonstration of suffering is put before the whole moral world. What shall manifest God's inner hatred for sin in his manifestations of love in the pardon of sinners? How shall God tell the world how tragically he regards man's sin if punishment be dispensed with in some cases? Then what force shall overcome the sinner with the awful nature of his sin and make it safe for God to flood his soul with his abounding mercy? What force shall properly humble him so he will evermore respect and reverence God and hate sin enough to shudder at the thought of indulgence? These considerations made necessary the blessed atonement of Christ which was prefigured in Old Testament times by the system of animal sacrifices, while their unloveliness performed the function of humbling the repentant sinner, they lacked the proper dignity of full atonement. Thus, the Old Covenant was replaced by the New Covenant. Thus, in the third place, we proceed to the New Testament, which records the accomplishment of the blessed atonement of Christ. The second person of the adorable trinity was incarnated into human flesh by means of the virgin birth, thus in some mysterious way combining the divine and human natures in one personage. After living a sinless life before all for their imitation and imparting kind and authoritative instruction on that way of life that is pleasing to God, the great event for which he came was permitted to happen. The Son of Man, he said, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many, as in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. While it was purposed that the Lord Jesus should die for the sins of the whole world, it was not purposed that he should be rejected and so terribly abused as he was, and so violently put to death. This was the reaction of sinful men toward the manifestation of the immaculate holiness of Jesus. This moral light, which was the only true light of the world, so exposed human sin that men had the greatest of difficulty holding down the truth so that it would not bother them in their persistency in sin. The conflict became so intense that their only relief appeared to be to banish the light of the world from the world. This exposure of men's sin the Lord Jesus gave as the reason for all their hatred. Me it hateth, he said, because I testify of it 
that the works thereof are evil, as in John chapter 7 and verse 7. The atonement of Christ did not consist in his rejection and crucifixion, but was accomplished in spite of the crucifixion. Man's wrath could certainly play no part in his own salvation. It merely showed forth the terrifying wickedness of man. The atonement of Christ consisted in the blessed Lord Jesus taking the sins of the whole world upon his holy heart and reliving their awfulness in his mind until his human strength was overcome in his unspeakable agony. He died of a broken or ruptured heart, as John bears special testimony to in his 19th chapter and verses 32 to 35 of his gospel, and not from the crucifixion. There we read, Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first, and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already. They brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water, and he that saw it bare record, and his record is true. This is John. For he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. So the apostle John calls such special attention to this fact as giving evidence of the true nature of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was not, therefore, from the crucifixion, but proceeded from within his holy being. Thus the sufferings of Christ were substituted for the punishment of sinners as a governmental measure, removing this otherwise impossible barrier to the free pardon of sin. This plan of a holy sin-bearer had been resolved upon from the foundation of the world, we are told in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. Many prophetic pictures had been given in the Old Testament of the coming Messiah. He would be a suffering Savior, as was set forth particularly by Isaiah in his 53rd chapter and verses 3 to 6, where we read these words. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our sins and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The New Testament sets forth the advent and work of Christ thus. We may turn to Galatians chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. We have before spoken 
of the virgin birth of our blessed Lord and Savior. And so his advent was into the human family to become a part of them that he might be their Redeemer from within. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, we have this terse account of the great humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, or thought it not a thing to be grasped after to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Notice these many steps downward, down, 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 until finally he went to the cross and died for the sins of the whole world. In the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, and verse 51, our Lord Jesus asserts his great earthly mission. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to die and give his life a ransom for many for the salvation of men's souls out of the abounding love and kindness of God. In the second chapter of Hebrews, we read of the identity of the Savior with us as a human family. Verses 14 and 15, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And verse 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And thus the blessed Savior identified himself with us as a necessity that he might be our faithful high priest and loving Savior. In the third chapter of John's Gospel and verse 17, we read that it was God's purpose that the whole world should be saved. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The noble-hearted John the Baptist came forth from the wilderness to bear testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the first chapter of John, verse 29, we read this, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to be the Lamb of God. And John said he was then bearing the sins of the world upon his own heart. But our blessed Lord manifested great tender-heartedness toward all and was moved with compassion. In Matthew 14, 14, we read, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them 
and he healed their sick. He was so moved that he even took care of their earthly necessities, as in Matthew 15, 32. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days, and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. And so he blessed the food and multiplied it to the needs of many. In the 20th chapter of Matthew and verse 34, our Lord continued his wonderful healing ministry of mercy. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. So our kind, loving master came into the world to manifest the true love of God and to die for the sins of the whole world. Do you, my listening friend, have a personal relationship with this wonderful divine Savior who came into the world to die for your very sins? May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for this essential message of thy word that thou didst so love the world as to give of thine only Son as our Savior. And we thank thee that through repentance and faith thou hast invited men to seek thy face to find forgiveness and the extension of mercy, and to go on in thy presence to serve thee forever. We pray that many may respond this day. In Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen.